This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. CBS presents America Changed Forever with CBS News correspondent Jeff Pegues. Let's talk about politics. Melissa Deckman joins us now. She is the CEO of Public Religion Research Institute, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan research institute. Melissa, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It seems like, I don't know, I'm starting to get this feeling of angst that the midterms are just around the corner. Um, in a way, they are. I mean, you know, we're talking November here. But you probably feel like I do that the summer is ticking along. It's going, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. In some ways, it feels like it's almost over because it's almost August. But anyway, what we're seeing right now are all these different polls showing who's up, who's down, who's losing support. In fact, if you look at the New York Times every day, there was a different headline. Most Democrats don't want Biden in 2024, Trump losing support. So what is the story as these polls reflect the sentiment, Melissa? I think the general sentiment right now among Americans is they're really unhappy. They're really unhappy with the political status quo. Um, they're unhappy with the economy. Um, they're unhappy with the sort of unrest that we have in general uh, in this nation. They're still, I think, exhausted from COVID. And I think it's resulted in a lack of faith in a lot of our institutions today. But it's showing up in the polls. No one seems to be happy at all. Yeah, but in, in some ways, I don't understand why people are so unhappy. Yeah, we, we've, we've emerged from this pandemic. Sure, gas prices are off the charts feels like. Sure, there's inflation, but there's also low unemployment. So what do you think is the driving force behind this unhappiness? Is it, is it the fact that the country still feels so divided? I think that the polarization that we've been experiencing these last couple of years um, has really gotten worse. And I think that Americans are really unhappy about it. And so I think there's a general sense of being um, unhappy with what's happening in, in America. And then you throw in uncertainty over the economy. Sure, there's record low uh, unemployment, but uh, businesses are having trouble hiring people. And that's another sort of uh, indicator that people are really uncertain about what's happening during this time. It's very unusual. In fact, I'm not an economist, but thinking back to, has there been a time where we've had really high inflation but low unemployment? It's really, really unusual. So I think people are upset about the economy in different ways. Um, and so I think that's what we're picking up with general discontent over the political system right now. And some of the candidates who could potentially 
be presidential candidates the next time around. In 2024, a New York Times-Siena College poll found that a clear majority of primary voters under 35 years old, 64%, as well as 65% of those with at least a college degree, which is a leading indicator of political preferences inside the donor class, according to the New York Times, they told pollsters that they would vote against Mr. Trump in the presidential primary should he decide to run again. And he's he's been hinting that he wants another shot at the White House. Yeah. So I think that that poll was was pretty interesting. I mean, I do we do have to bear in mind it is 2022. And so it's not in a year from now, we'll have to see where we are. But um, so it's very early in the process in terms of thinking about presidential primaries. But Donald Trump has been such a commanding figure within the GOP really since 2016. This poll is indicating he's losing some confidence and support from, from Republican voters um, who are going to be voting in those primaries. I think the biggest uh, name that I saw in this poll that came out, of course, with was with um, Rick DeSantis from, from Florida. And so I think that that's going to be probably one of the leading uh, people opposing Donald Trump. But there's no clear indication among those Republican uh, voters that Trump is necessarily a foregone conclusion. So I think that was a really interesting insight from this poll. And we're hearing from some of these polls as well that the public seems to want younger candidates. Absolutely. I you know I do a lot of research on generational change and I've spoken to a lot of young young Americans and there is absolutely no faith right now in either Trump or Biden from young people. Uh, but even with Joe Biden, I think that one finding that really stuck out to me, um, 94% of voters aged 18 to 29 uh, in the Democratic Party think we not we need to nominate someone different. Uh, so I think there's definitely um, a lot of um, desire to see some, some younger people. I don't know if you remember, it was maybe a year ago or two years ago, that sort of the boomer phrase, right? You know, okay, boomer. <laughs> and so there's, I think, this general recognition among a lot of voters today that the elite political class on the political left in the Democratic Party, whether it's Biden or Pelosi or on the right, Mitch McConnell, even Donald Trump, they're, they're well into their late 70s and 80s. And I think a lot of Americans would frankly like some younger blood uh, to appear in our politics today. Apparently, President Biden has a meager 33% job approval rating, even though, again, unemployment is low historically. Yeah, it is such an unusual time in terms of the economy with this record level low unemployment. And in fact, in some ways, that's led to um, higher wage growth, right? Typically, we know with low unemployment, employers have to compete for people to hire, and so wages go up. But unfortunately for Biden, at least, um, he's not benefiting from that because inflation is really at rates that we haven't seen in decades. And I think that when people go into the grocery store and they fill up their their gas tanks, they're seeing that real real hand in real time. And so I think that that's why, um, you know, Biden is underwater even, uh, well, even, I think a lot of Democrats are unhappy with him, but certainly nationally, his uh, polling numbers are very, very low. Is it too early for these candidates to really concern themselves with these polls or should they be worried? I think from the presidential perspective, uh, it's early. It's really early in this, this process. I mean, I think it's more interesting to think what might happen this November with the midterms in Congress. Uh, but I think as uh, an indicator of what we can expect, you know, a year and a half away uh, in terms of the uh, 
the 2024 presidential elections. I think we're still so early. What about the midterms? A lot of people expect, well, <laughs> they expect a red wave. They expect uh, the, the blue team to be pushed out of control of Congress. What are you seeing? Well, historically, presidents tend to lose uh, members of their own party in Congress because midterms have become a referendum on the performance of whoever's in the White House. And so this is a very typical pattern that I think definitely probably will benefit uh, Republicans. But what's interesting about these political times and looking at these polls, and in wake of, for example, the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe, we're seeing that Democrats have become all of a sudden more enthusiastic about voting. So even though the economy is not doing well, even though Biden is not popular overall with the American public, I think these elections are going to be a bit more competitive than many people had initially thought at the beginning of the year. Does it mean that Democrats uh, are going to be able to hold the House? Most indicators are saying probably not, in part because we have got so much gerrymandering that packs districts in such a way that it's hard to, to topple incumbents. Um, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer than we initially thought. And I think the Senate indicators are saying that the Senate is probably going to go Republican. But I think this keeps uh, many Senate races uh, a lot more competitive for the Democratic Party. So I think we're still a little bit unknown about exactly what will happen uh, this fall. Well, that's that's interesting. You say that abortion is one of the issues driving that, well, that could potentially and likely drive people to the polls. Are there other issues that are rising to the top of the concerns of the average American? Well, I think that the economy overall will probably be the most important issue that appears in all the polls that we're seeing. People's concerns about inflation kind of following that. But Again, this summer, we're seeing um, a rash of tragic gun violence happening with mass shootings from the elementary school in Uvalde to just most recently the 4th of July parade. And for women voters especially, I think the combination of the overturning of Roe with these incidents, continued incidents of, of uh, uh, gun violence is, is probably um, going to be something that voters really think about when they, they go to vote in the fall. So does that mean that the Democrats and the Biden administration, um, I don't know, do they push legislation between now and uh, the midterms or do they, you know, sit on their hands for a few months, hope that people will you know, get out to vote and support them uh, after the midterms to uh, bring the change that some of their uh, core voters are interested in? Well, I think that the um, the Biden administration, of course, and Democrats in both houses did pass a gun reform bill. Um, many gun uh, control advocates would say it doesn't go far enough, but I think it's notable that this was the first major piece of gun legislation in decades to emerge from Congress. Um, we still have an issue with, with gun violence in this country, and I'm not sure Congress can legislate anything that quickly that many Americans would like to see. Um, I think when it comes to abortion, I think that um, there just aren't enough votes currently in the Senate to try to codify Roe versus Wade. Many activists would like to see a national bill passed with respect to that. And in fact, my organization, PRI, uh, recently did a survey and we found that more than half of Americans would like to see Congress pass a law that essentially would establish the right for women to choose an abortion legally nationally. Um, the votes just merely aren't aren't there. But you will see Democrats running on this issue, especially um, 
running in, in congressional races and trying to appeal to younger voters, women voters in particular, who really do care passionately about this issue. Let's go back to former President Trump. He... Well, he's been in the news mostly because of the January 6th Select Committee and its findings that are, you know, depending on where you stand, um, pretty damning in terms of his alleged involvement in the January 6th insurrection. Do you think the Select Committee's work is taking a toll on his poll numbers or are people ignoring their work? Well, interestingly, um, we also had um, some a survey out in the field that asked about how much attention Americans are paying to the January 6th hearings. And, you know, I think for some Democrats, they might be a little bit alarmed to hear that only about 40 percent of Americans say they're paying a lot or some attention to what's happening with respect to the hearings. Now, of course, these hearings are historic, and I think that they're finding some incredible things, um, and it might lead to potentially the prosecution of more people as the Justice Department is going to be probably considering a lot of these findings in the, in the, in the future. Um, but one thing that was really telling for us is that when we asked Republicans how much they were paying attention to the January 6th hearing, we found only about 18% of Republicans said that they were uh, paying attention to the January, at least some, somewhat or, or a lot. In fact, over half, um, uh, close to half of Republicans said they're not paying at any attention at all. Um, I do think, however, that Donald Trump has been viewed increasingly by some in the Republican Party as a liability. And I do think the January 6th hearings and these investigations are probably leading some Republicans to say maybe it might be better to think about someone else uh, come you know, November of, of 2024. So I think the hearings are having an impact, but um, maybe not as much as Democrats want, but in some ways for Republicans maybe chipping away at the inevitability that Donald Trump will be the nominee again in the future. But Ron DeSantis, given some of the polls that we're seeing, especially among people who want to see a younger Republican candidate, the Florida governor must be feeling pretty good right now about where he stands. Yeah, I think Ron DeSantis um, is in a pretty good position. He's very popular right now in his state of Florida. Um, I think that he's captured a lot of attention nationally uh, among the GOP. Um, I think he is, in some respects, probably he embraces a lot of Trump's policies, um, but he doesn't bring the baggage that Donald Trump does in a lot of ways. And so I think that's why we're seeing a lot more people, uh, you know, looking looking to Ron DeSantis. I think one of the things that he'll run on in, in, in the primaries is talking about how he kept the schools open during COVID. And this is something that may have broader appeal to um, to other voters. All right. What about what about on the Democratic side? Is it Kamala Harris who could be an option? Is it Gavin Newsom, the governor of California? Who are Democrats looking to or for? It's really not clear yet who Democrats are looking to necessarily because uh, Biden and Kamala Harris and Democrats in the administration, uh, including people like Pete Buttigieg, who, of course, ran for the pri in the primaries for the 2020 uh, nomination race. Um, they're all yeah, basically saying the standard party line that Joe Biden will win again. We're supporting Joe Biden. Um, so I think in that sort of circumstance, it's probably natural to look to people like governors. And I think that Gavin Newsom, um, there has been some chatter that he will probably be seeking potentially 
um, the nomination as well. Uh, I think right now we're, the voters are pretty clear that they'd rather not see Joe Biden run again, but we're not at that point yet. Um, the White House is being very clear right now, at least the summer of 2022, that Joe Biden is going to run for office again. And that's where their, their um, energy and attention is, is facing. Well, I, I remember historically that sometimes uh, a candidate who perhaps had sagging poll numbers two years out, once it's determined who that candidate will be facing, his poll numbers could all of a sudden go up significantly. That's true. I, I mean, I think that's that's something to certainly certainly bear in mind. I mean, what if we have a nominee from the far left? You know, maybe I don't know that AOC is actually old enough to run for president, but uh, but what if we had a candidate like that, and then suddenly Biden might appear uh, to be a better a better um, nominee for for the party? Um, I think it's also telling, though, if you look at the matchup, and again, it's only twenty twenty two, but if the election were held today, it's basically a tie. Um, in this New York Times poll, Biden was forty four, Trump was forty one, but statistically, that that's pretty similar. Um, yeah, so we'll have to see what what Democrats do, what what story emerges in the next year with respect to the nomination. There currently, as I've said, as the White House has made clear, they intend to run Joe Biden as of now. Melissa Deckman, CEO of Public Religion Research Institute. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Washington Post's Ann Hornaday, chief film critic for Washington Post. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Jeff. I wanted to talk about. Space. No, I'm not going to space. I will never go to space. I'm not one of those guys like Michael Strahan who wants to be launched into space. Just not my thing. I mean, I like to go fast. I like to do adventurous things. And sure, after living in Washington for a long time, yeah, I'd like to go to a different world some days, many days. But I'm just not the type to go to space, nor do I pay close attention to what comes back from space. My producer of this program, Paul Woody Woodhall, well, you know, he's a really educated type of guy. Earlier this week, he, he sent me a note. He's like, hey, why don't we talk about telescope? I was like, what telescope? I say all that because our next guest, Andrew Fracknoy, is going to help me out. He's going to educate me, and I hope, and I'm sure, he's going to tell you something that you don't know about the Webb Telescope because he is a professor of astronomy at the Fromm Institute at the University of San Francisco. Andrew, thanks for being with us. Good to be with you, Jeff. Are you frustrated with me right now that I'm just so ignorant when it comes to the Webb Telescope? Are you, are you frustrated with what I just said? Well, no, because you're the kind of person who's made my whole career. I, I've spent most of my productive <laughs> life trying to explain to people just like you Astronomy is exciting. Yeah, so what you just said is, I keep you in business. Absolutely. There you go. Uh, and there's so right. much exciting stuff going on. Uh, no one's going to get me down about it. It's, it's, it's too <laughs> exciting. 
All right, so tell me about these images. What is the big deal? All right, so they sent this thing up into space, and it took some photographs. I mean, you know, people take selfies all the time these days. Yeah, so what's going on? Why are we so excited? First of all, this is the biggest telescope ever sent into space, and in many ways the most sophisticated instrument the human species has produced for exploring what's out there. But even more important, this telescope is tuned to invisible light. Unlike the Hubble, which mostly returned images that showed what our eyes could see if we had giant eyes, the James Webb Telescope is showing us the universe not in visible light, but in heat rays. And the heat rays from the universe, the infrared waves as we call them, show us a very different universe, a very different world. They allow us to peer into things and they allow us to see further than visible light would. So we are getting a new view of what's out there. And the pictures have shown that all the capabilities of the telescopes that we had our fingers and toes crossed about have been realized and we're set to go in this new direction of exploration. Ah, well, that that's interesting. And, and here we are telling our viewers about images that they can't see in a podcast, but you can see them if you go to fracknoid.com as well as cbsnews.com. My colleagues here have been covering the images from the Webb telescope. And so what are the ramifications? What are the applications for what we are seeing from this telescope right now? Right. So let's start with a good example. So first of all, it's the James Webb Telescope, as you said, and it's W-E-B-B if you're Googling it. Um, And uh, NASA has pages about it. The European Space Agency has a really good web page called ESA Webb, E-S-A-W-E-B-B, where you can download the pictures in JPEG format, which is what most of us use. And these pictures were, by the way, paid for by your tax dollars, So they're completely copyright free and you can do whatever you want with them. But let's pick one picture. My favorite picture uh, shows a region uh, which NASA is calling the cosmic cliffs, but it's really a nebula. A nebula is a big cloud of cosmic raw material made out of gas and dust. Gas like the air that we breathe and breathe, and dust like what you find under your desk when you haven't cleaned up for a while. And it's those two things, gas and dust, which are the raw stuff from which new stars and new planets are made in the universe. So by looking at this region of gas and dust, we are seeing the nursery where new stars are formed and are beginning to turn on and shine. And because it's a very dusty region, light doesn't penetrate it very well. We can't see these regions in light. Just like in Los Angeles, when it's really smoggy, you can't see most of the city in visible light. But a radio wave gets right through to your radio set, even when it's smoggy. So in the same way, these infrared waves can tell us about what's going on in this star nursery, whereas visible light can. And as we look into this picture, we're seeing 
bubbles and cavities and jets and complicated structures, which are the birth pains of new stars and new planets being born. And eventually we hope to actually be able to tell the whole story of how a giant cloud of raw material collapses under its own gravity, eventually begins to shine, makes a family of planets, and turns into just the kind of thing that we call the sun and the solar system. Now, if, and this is no offense to you, I mean, you, you sound like a great professor. I feel the passion in your voice when you talk about these birth pains. What did you say? Birth pains? Yes, birth pangs, I said. But yes, I, absolutely. The, the idea that it's not a simple process to give birth to a star, just like it's not a simple process to give birth to a human. Ah, I see. Okay. I, I thought that's what I... Birth pangs. And so, listen, I'm just going to be honest, Andrew. I probably, if I had taken your class... And it, it probably would have been one of those classes that I took my senior year because I probably would have been playing football and I would need to take a few classes. And I think, oh, let me let me take astronomy. I probably would have failed your class, not because you're not a great professor, because I have a sense that your passion for the subject would make me passionate about the suspect, the the subject, but it, it is <laughs> suspect, but it is, it's complicated. This, this subject, you know, the light and I mean, this is science. And so I'm, I'm wondering how long have you been studying the stars and, and were your parents ever concerned that you were daydreaming too much and concerned that you wouldn't be able to get a job? Yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. I was uh, actually an immigrant who came to America when I was 11. We had escaped from Hungary, a communist country at that time. And I learned English by reading comic books about space. And I got fascinated by these comic books about space and then just suddenly realized that you could do this for a living. You could study what's out there in space, where Superman came from. And so I got very excited about it. And I know my parents, my parents thought it was a little odd, uh, but they were very supportive of it. And I, I, got, I got to go to college and study astronomy and graduate school and study astronomy. And I've been teaching astronomy and thinking about astronomy for more than four decades. So mm. I'm very excited. I'm excited about all the things we've learned. And the thing I would have said to you as a senior uh, about astronomy is I would have said that without astronomy, you would not be here. That the atoms in our bodies did not exist when the universe first formed. The things that it takes to make you simply didn't exist in the universe. Stars over billions of years have made the elements from which human beings are constructed here on Earth. Okay. And so studying astronomy is studying our own origins, looking back to how the universe made us. All right. And I, you know, as you, as you describe this process of what made us, because I'm corny, I was thinking, okay, and I'm a black American. I was thinking, okay, well, 
what you're talking about here, Professor Fracknoy, is that the the universe is what we all have in common. No matter you know whether you're an immigrant, whether you were born in this country, black, white, Latino, no matter where you come from, that's the thing that we have all we all have in common. It is colorblind. That's corny, I know, but that's what I was that's what I was thinking. That's absolutely, it's not corny at all. It's a really important thought. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to read and write science fiction. And I'm actually on the board of trustees of an organization called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, where we're doing scientific experiments to try to find signals from other civilizations out there. And in SETI, we often talk about the fact that if we do ever find aliens living around other stars, they're going to look at our differences, like what color our face happens to be or what slant our eyes are, and they're going to laugh that those differences actually divide us because they're going to look so different from us and so alien, and we're going to look so alien to them that all human beings will seem alike to them. So astronomy is a really good subject for having just that thought that you had. All right. I... I did not expect this conversation to take this turn. This, this is wonderful. This is refreshing speaking with you, Professor, um, and hearing your story, how as an immigrant from Hungary, this subject helped you escape. Certainly, it, 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 in, a, in almost in a figurative sense, too, that um, we, when, you know, you're getting used to a new country and you don't feel comfortable being able to escape into space in your imagination uh, was very, very much part of what, what made me able to, to sort of become part of American society and uh, eventually go to school and feel comfortable speaking English and all those things. But um it's also, I think, true that for many young people, even if they're perfectly comfortable, astronomy has been an inspiration. And I'm already hearing that about these web images. They're so beautiful. We encourage your listeners, if they haven't yet looked at these pictures, to take a look at them. The thing that I would say is that uh, even if you don't know what you're looking at, they're beautiful. But if you actually take a little time to learn about them, they're awesome. For example, in another picture, we are looking deep into the universe uh, and we're seeing a cluster of galaxies. So we should tell our listeners that stars are organized into giant groups called galaxies. We live in one such galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. And astronomers have discovered that there are billions of other galaxies out there. So we're looking at a group of galaxies in this picture. And this group of galaxies has such strong gravity that the gravity actually warps the very fabric of space around these galaxies. Einstein predicted this, that strong gravity could warp space. And so we're seeing galaxies behind this group of galaxies warped and twisted. If you look at this picture, you see some galaxies looking normal, and then you see other galaxies stretched into arcs, into these weird shapes by this lensing effect, by this warping effect of gravity. Einstein predicted it, but now we have great pictures from the Webb telescope to show us 
warped galaxies in the depths of space. Mm, all right, I'm I'm getting this. Okay, I, I I'm getting this. This is this is working for me. But you know, I did do a little research, and there's some people who complained about the cost of the Webb telescope. I mean, it, it it's taken billions of dollars over a decade to get this to where it is today? Is that, I mean, how do you respond to those who say, yeah, taxpayer money, I don't, should we be spending money on this kind of thing? Yeah, that that's a question I get a lot. And it's certainly a fair question. I mean, you could say that there are desperate problems on earth that also need taken care of. But I like to think about it like uh, having a vacation fund or a movie fund for family. Yes, the number one priority of every family should be taking care of themselves and each other. But every once in a while, you need to have a movie night. You need to have a vacation. You can't just constantly be dealing with problems. You need some time out. And that's how I see astronomy and this astronomical exploration. It's the treat we give ourselves so we don't have to deal with our constant problems. I mean, just look at, as you said earlier, about Washington today and look at all the ways we don't get along and all the ways we're not taking care of the planet. And your head just wants to explode from all the problems. And then you go out into space and suddenly our problems are reduced to a small speck. And we can look at the bigger picture. We can look at our cosmic history. We can ask what our destiny is as a planet. And that allows you to get outside yourself. So I think money on astronomy, within reason, is well spent. Yeah, it's like buying dessert at the end of a good meal. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, you sold me on that argument. Professor Andrew Fracknoy, professor, awesome professor of astronomy at the Fromm Institute at the University of San Francisco and... Again, we've been talking about these images, but you can't see them in a podcast. So why don't you take a look at cbsnews.com or fracknoid.com, which is spelled F as in Frank, R as in Rake, A as in Apple, K as in K, N as in Nancy, O, I as in Ian. Hmm. Okay, Fracknoid.com. Andrew Fracknoid, thanks for your time. Great to be with you. That is America Change Forever for this week. Thanks to Paul Woody Woodhull in District Productive. You can hear ACF on Sirius XM POTUS Channel 124 every Saturday. Don't forget, for now, I'm Jeff Begays, and that is how America Changed Forever. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.